It was an absolute honour to speak with Paul Lindley, OBE, founder of Ella's Kitchen this week. We were, in fact, we, we were meant to be having this conversation live in Manchester Cathedral the very day we recorded this. And even though we couldn't meet in person, it did not take away the utter pleasure of capturing a remarkable story. I left this interview with such deep respect and admiration for Paul and all he's achieved. I honestly stepped away from the computer, took off my headphones and genuinely marvelled at how much good he's put back into the world. And I felt Hurricane Holly fully ignite thanks to his inspiration. Paul has had such a fascinating journey, both as an entrepreneur and as a campaigner. And in this episode, we cover building a brand which is both innovative and emotional. As one of the first B Corps in the UK, he is a tireless campaigner for social change with this strong belief that business is the key when it comes to fostering long-lasting impact in the world. I'm Holly Tucker and welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. I'm the founder of Not On The High Street and Holly & Co and I'm the UK ambassador of Creative Small Businesses. I believe that having a business, doing what you love, is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. And my dream is to help everybody start theirs. So I've reached out to all my favourite small businesses, acclaimed entrepreneurs, and those who just simply inspire me, and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to our sponsor, NatWest, who have helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going, you won't need to bring your frown Hi, Paul. I am excited because you have been on my podcast list for so long now. And Ella's Kitchen is one of those brands that I totally, truly admire. And you're so mission-led. And I just cannot wait to hear more. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Holly. My goodness. There's only one way to go. I hope I can I hope I can live up to your expectations. Let's let's give it a go. <laughs> well, we've been in lockdown now uh, in the UK. Uh, we were just chatting before we started recording for 16 weeks. And so I'm sitting um, just outside of Richmond, uh, recording from my desk today. Where are you and how are you keeping? Uh, I'm just outside Henley um, at home. And, you know, personally, day to day, keeping well. You know, we, we've got space, we've got fresh air, we've got family and we're healthy. Um, at the same time, I am just incredibly angry, I guess is the word, just pissed off that we are not learning. We are in a position because we've not learned about um, how we should live in a society. And as ever, it is the, the unheard people, it is the, the inequalities that are, that, are, that are so obviously the outcome of people who are either getting ill from COVID or who are either on the end of Black Lives Matters discrimination and lack of privilege or are losing businesses and are worrying or don't have the, 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 the income that they used to have um, and um, we've got to be determined as a society that this time we are going to build back better we're going to do something different and we're going to plan for the future in a better way than we have done in the past in our economy in our businesses and how we each of us operate our businesses but also as a society and what we ask our government to do and how we all work together and and this i can feel it's been brewing it's been brewing for a little <laughs> i can tell yeah. that this is something that you've been thinking about do you feel like we haven't had um 
a voice over this period of time? You know, what 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 do you think is going to be? So, if you take that, what you're feeling, that frustration, mm. when do you feel it's going to be right to sort of unleash it? Well, I think we're in the position that we're in because fundamentally we've taken a humanness out of our society and our businesses and the way we live our lives. We don't base actions on ideals and beliefs. We don't we don't make decisions based on the for the good of people. We make them on things that we've be, that aren't natural or aren't aren't really important at the end of the day. We base so many decisions on short term stuff. Whether that's in business, if you're a public business and it's about this quarter's return and shareholder, activist shareholders are selling you, price is going to go down, and that's the end of the world. Or if you're in a private equity business, they're putting pressure on you to build a business for three, four, five years, and that's the, that's the end point. And education, my kids are just leaving the education system now, and, and they've narrowed their sort of focus from you know 10 subjects at GCSEs to three to one degree to, to very narrow, and they're conforming. And... All of it is so short term, yet everything we really care about as individual human beings is long term stuff. The health of our children, the, the environment, our pensions, the safety of our country, all of those things. And they're being undermined by those short term decisions, I've given business ones. Government makes equally ones because they're all they're really interested in is the end of four years when they can get reelected again. So, so democracy shouldn't be about party machines or pollsters or, 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 or numbers. It should be about people and individual lives that your decision in government affects on individual people. And especially so, like you and I in business, the way we construct our businesses, the values mm-hmm. we hold them to, the way our culture is, the way the fact that our people in their waking hours are with us more than they are with their family at home – we have this responsibility to say we are going to act in your interests, which is the same interests as our same interests as society, and have our business as part of society, not separate from it. And and so I think that's all that we've got wrong. We've got to find these ways. And there are very positive things coming out of, of what we're going through now uh, around community and around, I, I would say, kindness, which I think is a tremendously undervalued and really important word. And those sort of little ripples build waves if all of us do it. And we do change the way we, we look to the future and the way we act as human beings um, for a better society. Well, I think the podcast is done really now. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yes, let's go and action that. I couldn't agree more. And we're going to talk about kindness. I've got questions to ask you about that. I know I want to talk about your B Corp journey. Um, Holly and Co is on it right now. We hope to be certified this year. Um, But I'd love to just come around because all of that passion that you're displaying and the care that you give to sort of the, the wider concept of running a business. I want to go back to your childhood because you spent part of it growing up in Zambia um, and you must have had this sort of fascinating view of life from an early age. Would you say that experience has had a lasting impact on you? I would say it's really important where we come from or our sense of where we come from you know, our pride in that and, and, and what we can draw on from that. And my my childhood in Zambia was in many ways idyllic, but it was also in a context of being able to understand that the privilege that we had because there was huge poverty, there still is huge poverty, there's injustice all over the place. At the time, in the 70s and 80s, Zambia was at the forefront of uh, the fight against white rule in, in South Africa and, and, and Rhodesia, and we were surrounded by 
colonial state. So um, that was very much in the day-to-day psyche of, of, of me growing up. And I think that has given me an insight or a drive to know when things are unfair and be really angry about it. Um, but it's not my, the only part of my upbringing. I would say the seminal part of where I understood me most was about 10 years ago um, when I found the marriage certificate of my great-great-grandparents who were born about 100 years before I was born. But they signed their marriage certificate, both of them, with an X because neither of them could read or write even their own name. And I was quite shocked at the time, thinking in you know mid-Victorian Britain, after the Industrial Revolution, there were people who couldn't write their own name, never mind read, a, read anything. Um, uh, and what opportunities did they lose because not of the, what was in them and their potential, but just because they didn't have those opportunities because they couldn't read directions to get into a city or they couldn't read the newspaper to see where the job ads were or to get the qualifications or all, all of those things that, that we take for granted here now. And so I can identify with them way back then and think, well, I'm no different to them, really. I was afforded the opportunity the first in my family to be able to go to university. What, what would have happened to the world if they could have done that? But maybe, just maybe, them or somebody like them in that time or somebody at this time now who's in a similar position may have solved cancer or COVID or inequality in some way. And although I can see going back in time 100 years a connection to those people, I equally see the connection in our time, horizontally, if you like, to all those people that you know are effectively our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world or in this country now, where um, they're not getting the opportunities to live the life, the potential that they have, um, just because of, of, of chance of where they were born, uh, what colour their skin is, what their income levels are, all of those things that, 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 um, that work against privilege. So that, that's kind of what I found it is in me. And I thought, that's it. That, that is why I do some of the things that I do, because that is how I, I see the world. And I really believe one of the most powerful things in life is a lived experience. And, and we don't value it enough. You get such an insight. So, so uh, lots and lots of things like that. But that last little point that says in our businesses, you know, all leaders in businesses should constantly listen to their customers, their suppliers, their employees, especially, um, uh, uh, and, and everybody involved. Just by listening, you learn and you, you listen with empathy and you listen with active listening, then you will improve your life, but also your business and the effect of what you can do by creating more profits and doing more good with those profits. I can see, I can see this interview. I'm going to keep trying honing in on your story and you're going to keep giving away your questions to the better good because it, I can already tell two questions in that that is right. the type of man that you are, that you are wanting to give so much to the outside of yourself, outside of your own story. And it's, I, I'm just, I'm just loving every single <laughs> second of this. Um, before we get into Ella's Kitchen, the, the sort of, the, the, the starting point here was you came back, didn't you, from Africa? Um, you graduated at, um, uni with a degree in economics and politics. And then after training and working as a chartered accountant, you went on to spend nearly 10 years as, um, at the children's television channel um, Nickelodeon before having the idea of Ella's Kitchen. And I'm fascinated as we go through the story, this sort of childlikeness 
that has sort of penetrated into your entrepreneurial vision that then saw such a successful company growing. Would you do me the honor of just telling me the story of how Ella's Kitchen came about, but also how you settled on the name? Okay. So, uh, gosh, you've run over lots of years there. And I would say, I would start by, I think there's a a whole connection back to my childhood again. You know, there's there's one of my heroes as a a child was was Bobby Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy, presidential candidate in the 60s in America. But two things he said that have inspired me, that led me on that journey. The first was kind of to your point just now about the purpose of life. You know, he, he, he... he articulated it, which so resonates with me, is that effectively the purpose of life is to contribute in some way to make things better. But the other uh, fantastic thing that he said so often, which uh, was a George Bernard Shaw uh, quote, actually, but he said that some people see things as they are and ask why. I dream things that never were and ask why not. And that's me. Why not? Why why can't I dream that? Why not? That's why... When I started my business with no experience of being an entrepreneur, being a chartered accountant and working in a corporate company beforehand, but seeing the problem that we were trying to solve and everybody telling me, well, you've got no experience or it's too radical an idea, then, you know, I, I was saying, why not? If I'm prepared to make that risk calculation um, and if I'm smart enough to know either when to stop or when to adapt if I get it wrong, then uh, I can create something here that could change the way the kids have food, could create a business that creates wealth, could change my family's position, but more crucially, could you know improve the lives of those people that, uh, that, that consume others. Um, and, and came to the point where two things happened in my life, I suppose. One was that professional experience of 10 years at Nickelodeon, building a brand for kids, understanding how difficult it is to be a child, how, understanding how possible it was to relate and connect the brand with a child, as though it was from a child and listening to children to actually develop our content and what the brand stood for. Um, but also through that, seeing how television was seen as a bad in society in many ways because children were getting less healthy generation after generation at the same time as television was getting more central to people's lives. And I understand that, and some of that is true, but it also the flip side of it is television can be used as a huge positive um, certainly brand trust can be used as a huge positive um, if we can get reach kids to, to help them live healthier lives. So that was kind of going on. And I was thinking, I can see how the power of a brand um, can do that. And then in my personal life, I was having my first child, my daughter. And when she, she's Ella, and that's how the name came about. But I, uh, you know, when she was a baby, she had uh, challenges of uh, trying new foods and uh, and uh, really liking food uh, when she was weaning and, and having her first solid. And I just used silliness and games and mess and stuff that it turns out I'm quite good at um, to, to, to play and open her mouth and she'd laugh and then I'd put the spoon in. And I sort of brought those two experiences together, lived experience, I guess, um, yeah. of what we've done with our child um, and how can we build – someone should build a brand that can do what Nickelodeon's trying to do in television and food. So bringing those things together, I just thought, you know, if we could make fun – we could make food fun for um, kids – uh, and by, uh, but also have it healthy, you could get kids really wanting food um, and you could build a brand that's trusted by parents and kids alike. So I thought that, and then the impetus was really knowing those stats that kids were getting less healthy. And I, I absolutely believe business is the best uh, institution, the best sort of 
way we've developed to improve our world. It's the most sustainable way. It aligns people together. It appropriately takes risks and drives innovation. Uh, and innovation is the critical thing we need for the future because if whatever our problems are in society, we need new ways to, to, to solve them. Uh, that, that's, that's how we started. It was, I want to improve children's lives. To do that, we've got to think big. We've got to go into the supermarkets from the very beginning. We've got to compete against the big boys. We've got to have a, a vision of a breadth of product range that is scalable. We've got to have a business that isn't just about the product. It's got to be meaningful, as emotionally meaningful to, to, to parents. And that's the one thing that absolutely flummoxed me when I started to get into it. It was everyone else at that time had a very functional brand. Baby food yeah. hasn't changed for two generations. You know, even the supermarkets effectively sold it to say, we don't really want innovation here. We want to get the mum into the store to buy baby food. She, we will make a loss at it. It can be undervalued and everything because she'll spend money elsewhere in the store once she's in. And I was thinking, well, this is totally wrong. The most important person thing in my life now is my daughter. I will do everything. I'm so emotional about what she is. Why, why don't brands build on that emotion? Want to win a one-to-one 90-minute mentoring session with me? Well, thanks to NatWest, you can. All you need to do is sign up to the NatWest Business Builder using our code to be in with a chance. The Business Builder is an entirely free e-learning site packed full of information and advice, covering everything from well-being to finance. Head to natwestbusinesshub.com forward slash Holly Tucker to find out all the details. Now, as you know, each week we run a competition with NatWest who, in a world first, give away their ad break space to small businesses and independents. They truly believe in the power of small and want to give you the opportunity to showcase your brilliant businesses to hundreds and thousands of listeners. So without further ado, let me hand over to this week's NatWest Independent Ad Break winner. Hello, my name is Lucy Peltier and my business is Lucy Lou Dreams. I am a blogger and a crafter. I design and write beautiful, hopeful embroidery patterns and tutorials inspired by nature, the seasons and my story as a woman of mixed heritage living in London. My designs are a reflection of my thoughts, feelings, passions and background. Art with heart, you could say. And that's what makes them and my business unique. I want anyone to be able to give my embroidery patterns a go, therefore all of my designs are created with beginners in mind, but embroiderers of any level can enjoy them too. I am a firm believer in slowing down and noticing the details, and what better way to do that than to sit down in a quiet spot and gradually and calmly create a meaningful image in thread. You can find my embroidery patterns in my shop at etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash Lucy Lou Dreams. My Instagram and Pinterest handles are both Lucy Lou Dreams and you can find my blog full of seasonal inspiration, reflections on the creative process and the stories behind my designs at LucyLouDreams.com. If you'd like to take NatWest up on their generosity and be listened to by thousands of people, we've created more information on exactly what we're looking for on our website, holly.co. You had this vision, baby food in pouches. And um, when researching you for this podcast, I know that all the sort of feedback that you were getting wasn't necessarily positive. 
So if you go back to before you got your first supplier um, and that sort of moment, because I know you gave yourself a couple of years, didn't you? And you Mm. were 18 months in. Um, You you were running out of time. Yeah, you were dusting off your CV. Just tell me about those early days from getting that first supplier to then having to work all those new muscles. You know, actually, that's day one, isn't it? (laughs) It is. I remember distinctly, you know, I'd been trying for months and months and months to get a listing with one of the major supermarkets and I'd had 500 no's or 500 dead ends and then um, just before dusting off my CV I, I, we'd had two pitches in and one of them was to Sainsbury's and I was thinking if she doesn't come back with a, with a yes or something positive let's let's begin to think about plan B and she came back she'd left a voice message on my uh, phone and, and it says we're going to take a flyer that's what she actually opened it and I remember thinking yes we're in we're off we've done it and then like within seconds thinking oh my god this is just the beginning now in the next few weeks i've got to work out okay how do we actually deliver this this is 350 stores from a startup that hasn't sold a penny's worth of anything to anyone before how do we do the logistics how do we build a brand how do we make people aware that it's there how do we make the money work how do we make sure the legal contracts are all right all of that stuff and um we were taking a category with no innovation and we were putting innovation pretty much everywhere. So the packaging, as you just alluded to, was brand new. Would consumers understand, would parents understand that it was it was baby food? It didn't look like baby food. Um, when, you got, when you got it that it was baby food, you know, the, the, the wise people uh, said, well, you know, make your brand about browns and greens and pastel colours because it's organic and that's your message. And I'm thinking, no, 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 it's not. That's playing the rules. It's not really about organic baby food. It is about children and their, 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 their well-being and their fun that they can have as they're having healthy food. So we've got to appeal to them. So let's make it bright primary colours. Let's have the language childlike. Let's have the fonts childlike. Um, so we were innovating with that as well. The recipes, we mixed things together that nobody had done before, fruits and vegetables together and, 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 and some crazy recipes. And then perhaps crucial thing was... We, I was building a business that was competing with these all the big businesses, but I was coming from a position of I am building a business to create change and a better, you know, improve children's lives. Well, I can do that by making money, but my point isn't to make the money. My point is to change the lives, and I'll do that by making great products. I'm sort of painting as though it's kind of taking a lot on, but then I definitely broke it down into bite-sized, chunkable things that, that we could do in a, in a sequence. So prioritizing and ordering things, um, I, I came back to the childlike view that I have of life of saying, well, you know, our, our consumers, our heroes here, when they have got the smart way of thinking in terms of I'll try and crawl, and when I can crawl, I'll try and walk, and when I walk, I'll try and run, and I'm not just going to try and run on day one so I'm going to get nowhere. And so that's what we did. We crawled, we walked, and, and we ran. And um, over the next years, it became the biggest baby food business in the UK, 35% market share. All of those evaluated risks that I took paid off in terms of the packaging, the brand, the purpose of, of, the, purpose of the business. And, the, and the, the learning I had there was, you know, it, it, I could have been blind, blinded by, oh my God, big supermarket wants us. But I had to look at the numbers and say, mm. I'm the one that's taking the risk. Six months later, it doesn't sell. We're out. Um, and I've got to make those margins work on day one. So we, yes. we moved the price point of baby food by about 50% higher. I mean, it's a much better product. Um, and, you know, therefore, 
consumer was happy about a product, the retailer was happy that I'm making money in this aisle, now I'm happy because I'm growing a business that can actually deliver on its mission. It's it's such an interesting story, gosh. And the brand, I, I always will remember seeing that brand, seeing that typeface. It just stood out from everything else. And I think, again, what a great thing for people to hear on this podcast, which is the whole point is not to be the same. If you're going to do this, stand out. Yeah. I mean, have the story. And I'm going to talk to you about storytelling because the as part of your brand, you made sure that story was right at the center of it. I mean, you needed to be brave. Did you did you feel brave at the time? I did feel brave, yes. And I was proud of the fact that I, you know, I think you've got to have self-confidence, but not arrogance. You've got to be humble enough to know you might get this wrong. You probably will get this wrong. You need a hell of a lot of people to help you along the way and come on later to the power of team. But um You've got to have that self-confidence. So I knew I was being brave, but I also knew the massive power of a story, um, as you just said. Uh, and, you know, the world works in stories, I think. We're an emotional, we're not, we're logical, and, but we're not robots. And the tapping into the emotion, if you are a consumer brand, is critical. So stories are vital, but there's two things within the stories that have to really work. One is the authenticity of it. Mm. So I often say to people, people have come to me and said, you know, I've got, this product is a food and, you know, the, the branding is all about it's homemade because everything in a supermarket is like mass produced and, and it's homemade. And, and, I, and I said, that's brilliant. You've got a little market there. That's great. Now, what do you want to do? Where's, where's this business going? Oh, I want to get in all the supermarkets. So I said, okay, so if your brand is all about being homemade, what happens when Tesco gives you 500 stores? So then you're going, not going to be authentic that you're homemade. You're homemade like. What does homemade mean? If people don't think it is homemade, but you're saying it is, then what else don't they trust about you? So that authenticity mm. has got to be one thing. And then the sort of constant consistency of the story um, it has, is the second thing. And, you know, it, 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 it needs to evolve, but it needs to be part of you and built into your purpose. And this, I'll keep coming back to purpose uh, because the, the, the purpose is the story is wrapped in purpose. And that filters through to the consumers to understand that not only are they getting functional things, that, the truth that it says, but that, that it, it delivers them something more. It validates their view of life. And I think that's where the successful brands are. They all start from a story to be believable and trusted by the consumer. Mm. And and it's it oh gosh I mean I couldn't agree with you more on every single thing you said, and with that bravery I mean I would just want to go back to something you mentioned about um, this way of thinking as a child and this childlike curiosity. Uh, your book Little Wins, which is actually brilliant, and everyone listening should definitely get themselves a copy, is all about the power of thinking um, like a toddler. Is there something that comes from thinking like a child that you would say anyone starting a business should really adapt and and change yeah. into sort of this brave mindset? Yeah. My hero in life is um, a, a toddler. And the, the commonality we've got in humanity is all of us at one point was this toddler that had this yes. potential in them that, you know, had imagination, free thinking could build self-confidence, had a determination to walk, learnt, failed, learnt, failed, learnt, failed. 500 times we tried to walk. We cried, we cut our knees. 500th time we walked because we put it all together of what we were doing wrong and we iterated and we learnt to walk. So we had a persistence there. We had a creat creativity 
of not because of we didn't know the rules, uh, we had this way of thinking that was divergent. Um, part of my book, I talk about Sir Ken Robinson, who who wrote the most yes. the TED talk. Now he did a piece of research that um, it, it turns out that ninety eight percent of us human beings, when we were three to five years old, thought divergently to get through our days, which is a measure of creativity. So 98% of human beings were creative when they were toddlers. Only 2% of 25-year-olds, so it's probably 0.2% of 53-year-olds like me, um, are, are divergently thinking to get through their days. They are creative. So humanity has lost 96% of its creativity in just growing up. Our parenting, our education system, and our corporate system conforms us all the time so that we don't either think of the ideas that that can make Mm. things change, or if we think of them, we don't have the confidence to say them, or if we say them, people don't have the time or the interest to listen to them or the belief to listen to them, and we don't connect with other people who will will help them become a reality. And that that, that is where entrepreneurs can step in, tap back into their their childhood and use the things that were so brilliant then. So not just business people, not just entrepreneurs, all of us who had a childhood, and I appreciate, and it's certainly true, and so much of my campaigning is, you know, you, you, you rip a, a happy childhood out of a child and you rip a life out of a person that, that, that lives with people forever, and it's so unfair. And we, How can we make more people have the, the childhoods that, that um, you, they can look back on and learn from and be happy from? Um, but... The, 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 the potential that's in all to, every toddler is, is to do many of those things I've just talked about. So when we were five years old, we, we thought, could think about it. We must have thought back and thought, life is just bloody brilliant, isn't it? Because I've learned all of these things, all of these skills to, to, to query the world, to communicate with the world, to work, walk, to play. And I'm going to live for another 80 years. So what's coming next? Bring it on. And then you learn yeah. by the time you wake up at 53 that most people – don't explore the world, but they have the same 10 meals recycled in a year. They meet the same friends, go to the same pub, watch the same TV shows. And the next day that comes, which gives them the opportunity to learn from another 24 hours, they choose the safe place of doing the same things that they know and they do. That is the way that we've, we, we now live. Now, some of that is that we need to live that way, but we need the outliers. We need to encourage people to think differently. Mm. We don't need people to come out of school having all had the same being taught the same things and taught that the same answers come to the set from the same things and you just need your qualification. We should be encouraging our children to question why things are the way they are and dream things that never were and ask why not. God, I'm having the best time ever talking to you. I really <laughs> am. I, my brain is exploding. I'm sure anyone listening um, is experiencing the same thing. I, you, you mentioned team um, before. So Ellis Kitchen, it was growing crazily fast. Um, You started outsourcing, you started employing a team. Um, And I know that for um, some businesses, when you find yourself at that point where everything is taking off, and I remember it at Not in the High Street, I mean, actually, that's where all the wheels, the bolts, you're like a speed train and everything is flying off. And you're just trying to hold on um, to everything that you've got and just keep in one piece. What was it like when you went out to try and find that right team? And did you bring culture in from day one or was this something that evolved? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, culture evolves. You can't say this is the culture of this company. Come and join yeah. it. The culture is because the people who joined it create that culture, perhaps with your guidance, perhaps with your values, perhaps with the inspiration from you, but they create it. 
So, um, you know, and I'd say this to any any human being, put it in the entrepreneurial context, you know, don't think you are, you are God's gift to this world because you've got the solutions that none of the rest of us have. You might have ideas. There's no way those ideas are going to become a reality without the help of other people. If you want to get the help of other people, you need to inspire them to give them a meaning to why they should help you. It may be that you pay them a lot of money, but it may be also that you do something to their, their values or to their hope that they can be part of a journey with you that will be fun and like they want to be there because you're people and you're connected with each other and you're aligned. But also they are making a, 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 a difference to their own lives by being on this journey. They're laying a handprint of their own lives through their time with you, but they're also giving the handprint to, to what you're trying to achieve. So um, team, team is everything. And then, and then, you know, effective communications are another key leadership aspect that make teams work best. And that doesn't mean just you know, saying those things and saying thank you. It means saying those hard things and being honest and authentic when things aren't hard. And they probably have the solution. What you think is really difficult, someone else in the world, hopefully in your team, you know, has an idea for the, the, the solution. But the communications is vital, that, that you don't miscommunicate. Again, going back to kids, but the toddlers, yep. they're super communicating because they show their emotions. You know, we live in that we should show our vulnerabilities as leaders, I think, so much more and, and, and and, and not be arrogant to say that I know the solution, let's just go with it. And then, you know, that collaborative team effort is vital. And then the leadership stuff that teams really buy into is like when they're in the weeds and doing their jobs, but they do still see the purpose, the leader to be able to see the bigger picture than, than even the purpose, like how your business fits into the greater scheme of things, which battles to choose to fight and, and not to fight. You know, it's okay to lose some things as long as you don't lose the overall sense of where you're going and to turn off the road that you're on um and and you know wrapping all of those leadership things uh, uh, you know is rare but when you get it right those teams will do anything for you if they believe that, agree you know, that they're, 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 they're part of something greater and that's why i'm a big advocate for uh sort of employee ownership or or, or changing the way capitalism is so that there's more more there's less inequality, more wealth is shared more widely. Because, yes, wealth, as in pounds in a bank, should be shared more, more, more widely for the people that contribute. But also the emotion wealth of, I'm part of something. It is part of me. I, this is my company. And, and you know, with Ella's, we, we did that with something called Strawberry Stock. So every, every person that was there for completed a full 12 months at the company, uh, got a thousand pounds worth of stock for every year, and then they, they could convert their bonuses into stock. And, you know, when Ellis got sold, there were, there were many people who, who made significant amounts of money, but everybody knew that they contributed. They were part of the reason. And then the, the sort of final thing, which is more, more societal on, on team, is that even when that all works, don't get arrogant or confused um, or have the hubris to think that your little group is the God's gift to, to, to this earth and it's going to work. Because <laughs> you don't get your product, the best product in the world with the best brand, from your factory to the supermarket without a road that other people pay for. You know, and also at the beginning, we've taken humanness out of our, of our, our society. It's partly because we've divorced the economy from society. And the economy and business people are there to make money for business people and for their companies. They're not. Their companies are there to make prosperity so that, they, that the society that those companies serve, the products and services that those companies deliver, improve people's lives and the benefit of the money circulating that, 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 that makes that work um, improves our society.
We've teamed up with our friends at Three, and all year we'll be working together to make business dreams come true. Share your dreams on social using hashtag Holly and Co Dreamer, and who knows what will come true. With Three Means Business Plan, I love that you can get up to five hundred pounds worth of benefits from their specialist partners to help give your business a helping hand. Whether you need support with accounting or building a new website, Three have got you covered. Now over to a short story about those that dreamt big and flew. Brian Acton and Jan Coombe aren't names you might know, but their vision for a new way of communicating revolutionised the way the world talks today. They created WhatsApp, which is used in 180 countries and is the largest messaging network in the world. But it was the life of one half of the duo, Jan Coombe, that paved the way for democratising communication services. Jan was born, you see, under Soviet Union rule in the Ukraine and lived there until he emigrated with his family to the US when he was just 16. It was his experience living under communist rule where phones were routinely tapped and calls listened to that would define his later years. Becoming a cleaner alongside his studies to financially support his mother, Jan discovered his passion for technology aged 18. He taught himself computer networking through second-hand manuals from a used bookshop before returning them again to save money. By the time Jan was in his mid-twenties, both his mother and father had passed away and he was living alone. It was then that he lent on his good friend Brian for support and together they left Ernest and Young to work at Yahoo. Age 31, it was a natural next step for the visionary pair to team up and create an egalitarian phone service. Instant success didn't come through when WhatsApp was first released to the public. It was actually very unpopular. The product had very limited number of users and was crashing constantly. Jan was ready to give up and find another job, but thanks to the motivation and encouragement from Brian, he chose to not give up on his dream. Brian describes the pair as the yin and yang. I'm the naive optimist, he's more paranoid. I pay attention to the bills and taxes and he pays attention to our product. He's the CEO and I just make sure stuff gets done. Since 2009, WhatsApp has continued to grow, and over the past 10 years, the success of the app has skyrocketed. Jan and Brian sold WhatsApp to Facebook for $22 billion. But it is Jan's continued commitment to charitable support of communities and technological solutions that will truly be his lasting legacy. Don't forget to share your own business dream using hashtag HollyandCoDreamer. To discover more about Three's business plans, search Three Means Business. Now back to Conversations of Inspiration. Throughout this podcast so far, you have spoken about mission and purpose, and this is basically your embodiment of who you are. Um, I totally agree with it. It's actually something that lives within me, building Not on the High Street, now building Holly & Co, um, our purpose-driven companies. Um, tell me, though, when I speak to small businesses and I speak to entrepreneurs in some businesses that have already launched, you know, they've had years of trading um, and they never thought about purpose or mission before starting. Now, we know that the 
consumer is changing rapidly, more conscious um, a consumer. Um, thank goodness that we are now um, likely to meet. How do businesses sort of think about purpose now if it wasn't in mm. the underbelly of their mm. business to start mm. with? Well, I would say that every business would be a better business if it had its purpose. And that purpose isn't just, we'll write it down, it's on the wall and it's there. It has got to be part of the culture and the way you do your business, the why you do your business, the how you do your business. Um, my whole belief is uh, a business is partially about a business plan and those numbers need to work. But it's not really what a, an investor buys into. It's certainly not what a consumer buys. What they both buy is the people that can deliver that business plan or the product that people have created from that business plan. So it comes back to people. Now, if you if, if you look at, okay, the purpose of this business is to make money for the shareholders, then I would question as to why you think you would get the most out of the people that help you with your business. If they are turning up because they can make you the most amount of money for you and you can pay them something that that satisfies them at this stage. You're at risk that the next guy is going to come on and pay them more. Um, and you will not get them thinking about and being determined to build your business with new ideas if all they want is to, to, to sustain the profits of what you're currently doing. So it kind of takes the risk out of a business, a growing business, I think. Then I can give you the cold, hard facts of, you know, we talked about B corporations recently. I'm really proud that Ella's was one of the first ones in the UK. I'm proud that I yes. chaired Toast Ale, which is another one. So it's a growing thing. Why is it a growing thing? Because on the one hand, it recognizes the humanness of, this is why this is why we get out of bed. This is the extra zip we have when everything's gone shit. This is why we still want to get up because there's a greater good. But it also reflects in the figures. So I know that B corporations, um, in the last two or three years, have grown at 28 times more prof, more turnover, greater scale than the rest of the British economy, the non-B corporation. I did not know that. My assertion is that young people that are coming into the workplace now care more about and aware of more about values um, than they did ever before. Um, they've got the access to what, to understand what you're saying about what in your ad or on your website is true or not at the tip of a finger again. Um, and um, they they want to work, they will stay longer and want to work harder and want to work for in the first place businesses that I think add something to their journey in life and resonate with their values and what they want they, they, their purpose in life if you like and you want to retain those people as long as possible yeah. so if you haven't started with a purpose um, that you know it's never too late work it out work it out with your team but if you're the leader if you're still the founder. Make sure that there's a story around you that is authentic and it is the reason that you believe life's worth living. You know, once you have that anchor, everyone who's involved, every stakeholder knows why you exist and can know how they can contribute to make it um, a better company. And also, you know, if you think about what you were saying about business and business being the best um, way of making change in society, then actually that founder needs to talk to themselves and actually find out what is that reason I'm here? You know, I talk about, you know, one in 400 trillion chances of being born. You know, I, I, I definitely think that everyone has a diamond in which, you know, they, it's their diamond. What is that thing mm. that they're going to do? And, and I do 
want to say to anyone who doesn't feel confident or doesn't feel it's necessary. I mean, I do believe that these are the only brands that will survive in the future. I, I think that the consumer is really wise now. And actually, that's what we're seeing, aren't we, with all the businesses that are going under? What were their stories? Yeah. What, 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 what was their point? And I, I want to just get back to the Ella's story, sort of the transition period for you, because today Ella's Kitchen is the UK's number one baby food. It's got a global turnover of over 100 million. It's phenomenal. Uh, I think actually I read somewhere that the billionth Ella's Kitchen meal uh, had been eaten, which is Mm. just staggering. Um, And I know that you went on to sell the business um, in 2018 and you stepped back um, to devote more time to social campaigning, which is where I'd love to end this Mm. interview talking about. Tell me, founder to founder, this is as the, this is the little bit that I don't think gets spoken about enough. How difficult was it to hand over the reins? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's difficult, and you need to understand why you're selling. And I sold actually, I sold in 2013, not 2018, but I stayed as chair chair through to 2018. So I left the business totally then. But, Sorry, yes. You know, my hard decisions were there back then in 2013, 2012. I was thinking. So why am I thinking about selling um, and uh, who might I sell to and how might I get comfortable with that? That's the questions you're asking. And um, it's hard, I think, for any entrepreneur, but I only know this entrepreneur and it was hard for me because I've got my daughter's name on the product and I actually care what happens to the company, what it becomes. But I looked at it, the process and why I was doing it, just like a horse race, if you like. So there's three jumps to get over before the, the finish line. And they're all to do with the word value, but the different contexts. The first one was values. So I was determined to sell to somebody that mm. convinced me that their values overlapped with ours and that they would protect the mission and they would protect the way that the company, because that was the magic source of the company. And you trot along, the next hurdle is value, incredibly, incredibly important. You've put your heart and soul, your team have put their heart and soul. They are shareholders in their own right. You've got legal obligations to other shareholders. You are deeply pissed off if someone insults you with value that is way off what you believe it is or you've been advised that it is. So, and then the final turtle, really, if you care about the legacy of your company, is the, is the added value that they bring. What, what is it that is going to make this an even better business that you couldn't have done without them? Is it, is it efficiencies? Is it new markets? What, what, what is it um, that yeah. you, convinces you you've got added value? So all those three things, then you can take them seriously and you can start uh, Actual process, uh, but it, don't have no mistake. It is a job in of itself, and it is not that like we'll do it this weekend. It is a micro case, a year, eighteen month process to find the right people, get the contracts right, uh, and, and ensure. But then you, it's gone, and you know, unless you can negotiate some sort of golden share or something, I sold all of my shares, um, which, which, but I was convinced I was happy. You know, and and you know, the, the best validation of it, I sold to the right people was that we became B Corporation after I sold. And, you know, they legally didn't have to do that. So, um, you know, and um, part of the reason I'm so, so proud of where, what Ellis is today is because the CEO now, the whole team there now, you know, believe in their hearts of why Ellis exists in the same way I did. And they're all much better equipped to deal with it at this stage of the journey than, than I would have been. And that's a, another vital thing that entrepreneurs need to wake their eyes up to. Um, is, you know, know when you're weighing your earning value and know when you're not. But I hope that it's a significant part of my contribution or my enjoyment of life or what I've done 
uh, and not everything. And therefore, you know, I certainly didn't want to say, okay, let's go count the money, let's go play golf and buy a yacht. None of that sort of really appeals to me um, in in excess. It's fine to do a weekend of that, all that. But um, you know, and I sort of worked out going back to my why um, through you know the realization of that marriage certificate that I've seen and the opportunities that are there. I sort of worked out my personal why, if you like, and that was you know I do what I can to to make the world richer in opportunities, in ideas, and in kindness. So I've I, I've dedicated myself to try and do things that along that in, in, in two sort of areas. One is using entrepreneurship in the non-business sphere. We, 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 the, the risks we take, the networks we create, the connections we see, the ideas we can bring, the, the startup mentality of looking after the money, the way you build a team, all of that can be transferred to public policy or educational, the charity world, the social enterprise world. And I work in all of those areas trying to bring that. There's so delighted surprised i guess but delighted that you know the only job application i've made in 20 30 years um is for an unpaid position as as the chief chair of london's child obesity task force for sadiq khan in london that was exactly my next question i'd love to hear about this because that what that was in 2018 was it it was and they didn't bring in you know uh, an academic or a policy person they brought in somebody who overtly said yeah. we need to do things differently here you know we 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 need to admit we're going to make mistakes we need to have ideas that are different than i had before we need to bring people it's such a complicated issue we've created a call to action to london that is hugely entrepreneurial and i'm very proud of that i also work as a chair and a founder of a human rights organization or kennedy human rights uh in the uk you know and and Going back to, you know, we exist to, to try and inspire and empower people to take decisions and, and, and make actions every single day that make human rights a reality for all. And what, what does that mean? What, it, what it really means is that we can base decisions on ideals and beliefs in business, in society, and we can treat each other um, uh, with that, that common humanity. But sort of, although human rights doesn't have a great brand name in the UK uniquely, I think, you know, it's not really, many people think it's about others over there that, you know, it's not about my life um, uh, and, and, or it's about elites and lawyers and stuff. It's about law because the Universal Declaration of Human Rights is what we, we all abide by. But that declaration is really a summary of what people aspire to in putting a legal legal way. But but if you, if you, if you focus less on the rights and more on the human, it's about how we live our lives and those actions and decisions mm. we make every day based on human beings. Um, and, and so we've got an education program called Speak to Perhaps, Truth to Power. We've got a festival um, in Manchester next year, a four-day festival where we're bringing together the cultural aspects of human rights rather than the legal aspects. Um, and we have a business and investment summit, which we had last January. We'll have again next year. So all sorts of things in there. But, but human rights is central to, to what I do these days. And then... Two other very quick things, um, Holly. One is I'm on the board of Sesame Street in the US, which is this iconic company. It's the most trusted company in America. 50-year-old, started on an incredible mission. That mission is at the heart of its business now. It is the best mission I've heard from any company anywhere, and it's to help kids grow smarter, stronger, and kinder. Wow. And, it, and, and I'm privileged to be on the, the investment committee of, 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 of that. So 50 years of retained profits. Quite a lot of money, very lot of money. What do we do with that to live our mission? So, you know, coming back to how business and how the economy, you know, how we choose, where we choose to put our pensions, where companies choose to invest their profits are little ways that each of us can make 
to change the way, the outcome of our world. And then the final thing that uh, I just want to talk about was um, a competition that uh, is in its second year now that I've, I've, I've conceived of and launched called Just Imagine If, which um, uh, is for any entrepreneur out there who's got an idea for a business, but a business model behind it, that addresses one of the sustainable development goals, one of the UN sustainable development goals. And we provide uh, support of up to £100,000 of university research and all sorts of um, uh, counsellors and advocates. I'm going to tap you up next year to be a counsellor. Um, oh, uh, to, to as, as entrepreneurs. But, you know, we from all around the world, we get 10 people into one of the British universities each year and uh, the audience votes on who whose idea they think is the best, but it comes back to my, my, my idea about ideas driving the world to the future because innovation comes out by ideas. Ideas are, are unlimited. We've all got millions of them. How can we capture them? How can we reduce the barriers from making those ideas real? You know, maybe it's skill set, maybe it's finance, maybe it's connections, maybe it's proof points, but... All of those things can be addressed if we, so that we, we've found some fantastic people from all over the world who are using business to change the world, address a sustainable development goal. Uh, 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 and that. so I am busy but I enjoy wow busy, busy, you but. are I mean it is just I absolutely love to hear how someone like yourself can build such a phenomenal brand but then almost go on to big not bigger and better in the sense that but you know it, it, onto a whole course of other adventures and and things that you're going to use that entrepreneurial power that you have that mindset and make even more positive change. Um, tell me about Ella now. Uh, you know, you started it when you were feeding her, mm. um, and literally that's. A, and now you're saying, well, she's just leaving school, is she? It's a, this is it's a, it's very much like a journey, isn't it, with our, yes. our entrepreneurial babies, are right next to our real children, and it's it's incredible. Well, yes, she's at university now, and um, uh, my son Paddy is uh, just leave school next year, and. You know, they're the reason I get out of bed every day. And I guess they're, they're most people's why who have the privilege to have children is, is that you know that you've got to leave the world in a better place than you found it for there. And, but, you know, and I've thought about it a lot in uh, making the letter that you've asked me to do to myself, because it's kind of a reflection of what I'm saying, my hopes for my kids, really. You know, you can guide them, but they've got to be their own person and they've got to find their why, not your why. And you've got to give them the rope to be able to do that. But ultimately you want them to be, kind and happy and sort of be their own person. This has just been such a pleasure. I end every interview with the analogy that the journey, the journey through our businesses is like being on some crazy epic roller coaster. Yours would be these primary colours uh, with uh, the wonderful Ella's kitchen font on the sides. Um, what would you say has been one of your greatest um, sort of lows whilst on this journey? Yeah, um, the, the the hard reality of you, you know, the, the, it comes home how serious this is. We had two product recalls, and you know, you're, you're dealing with babies. You're dealing with the most precious thing in someone's life, and they're phoning you up to say their baby's ill, and they think they've had an Ella's kitchen, and they think it's connected, and you don't know whether it is or not. And you've got to speak with, you know, that comes in. I get on the phone straight away. Um, and and you know, speed and empathy and listening and understanding, but. But, you know, you need, you need to get the facts you can get. And you're never going to know all the facts. And you've got to make judgment calls with the yeah. emotion from the family and the consumer. And have you done something wrong? Have you not? And then you've got to think about your staff and your investors and yourself and your business. And, you know, the right call now defines what your business becomes. And that's really, you know, really 
low time. You learn a lot about yourself, but um, and you need to prepare for that. And, and you know, it, practice you know makes makes it possible to, to work through those things. But they're emotionally challenging. But you know, not as much emotionally challenging as the person that's on the other end of the phone. You know, thank God, nothing seriously happened to to, to anyone. Uh, I cannot even imagine. Um, and conversely, when you're on the top of that roller coaster with wind in your hair, what's been the greatest moment, you would say, or one of your greatest moments? Um, I, I think you alluded to the one billion meals, you know, um, and, you know, that happened 11 years after selling the very first one. Um, but, that, but I think, you know, more more, more drip, drip, drip ongoing was the, the feeling when your team solves a problem that your team tells you why they want to be there you're or you overhear a, a family on the train or a plane or something that's saying <laughs> and they recommend it to to somebody else because of all the things you hoped they would say um, about your product oh wow but uh, this has just been one of these conversations that will definitely stay with me forever i'm called holly hurricane and you've made me like some i don't know what i, I i'm not in the eye of the storm i can tell you now my team is going to regret this podcast i'm so fired up thank you so so much bless you for sharing all of that with us um at, it's that part of the podcast now where i'm going to hand over to you to read this letter to your younger self or as you said a letter that you would like your children to hear um, and I just cannot wait so thank you Paul from us all. Thank you Holly it's been a great great pleasure you know I've learned something about myself in this last hour um, and I hope that I can have shared something that people can learn about themselves from my journey as well. So here we go I've written a, a letter to my 15 year old self and um, this is what I put. They asked me to write a letter to you, which is me, which is weird. So I wrote two, just to break the rules. The first is for when I would have been rushed or just needed a little help or focus. And it's, hey you, whatever you are, be a good one and be a kind one. Keep smiling. The second is more wordy but it only really helps to understand why the first letter is so important. And it goes like this. So we made it to at least 53. And you'll be relieved to know that I, you, we, found the confidence along the way to take the road less traveled. And that has made all the difference. Just as Robert Frost told us it would in his poem that is still tucked into my wallet today. The road's been more winding than you could imagine, and it will take you through some pretty dark valleys, but also to loads and loads of incredibly beautiful summits. And you'll find that we've stopped and appreciated the summits more because we've been in the valleys. I'm still on the road, still accelerating at times, stopping and looking around to discover places and learn from people along the way. And you know what? I'm not sure now exactly where that road leads. But that's the exciting point. It's taking us in the right direction. And I've learned that we should just enjoy the drive. It literally is the drive of our lives. So I decided along the way to take a detour or two. Some were dead ends, others turned out to be shortcuts, and some, the most memorable ones, introduced me to places that I would never otherwise have seen 
and people I would never have imagined I could have met, each adding something meaningful to the purpose of our journey. I, we've done things that you'll think were impossible. We married the most beautiful person who's been our soulmate and fellow traveler for nearly all of that time that separates you and I. And I have two kids that are already older than you are now, and I see you in them every single day. And in knowing how your story pans out, for the next 38 years at least, I have given them the same advice I give you here. And that's to have no regrets. Live that one life the two of us have, so that when we're gone, there was a point to us being here. And that they can say that we lived, loved, learned, and left a legacy. The most profound learning you'll have is that people matter, and that's pretty much all that matters. And there are about almost 8 million that you can meet, learn from, give to, feel connected with. So don't travel alone. Stop and chat when you can, and keep those you love close and treasured. And the plot twist to it all, the bit you, me, worried way too much about in 1982, is about how important it is just to be us, me. We are unique, and we should be us no matter what others say. However much we are told to conform for conformity's sake, no one has the thoughts we have, the ideas we create, the potential to improve things we can suggest. And as such, you were, and I remain, a ripple of hope for the future if we stay true to being our whole unique persons. Indeed, everybody is that powerful. That same little boy both of us once were, the one with the imagination and the self-confidence, the determination and free thinking, the one that loved to play and show his emotions, well, he never leaves us. And because of this, we will do way better than those that lose touch with their toddler selves. So, Paul Lindley, be you, always. Trust me, it gets easier. So here's the thing. It's what you do that counts, not what you could do, should do, or are told you can't do. It's not the qualifications that will make the difference. It's not even just the undoubted privilege that you have but always be humble to acknowledge that and fight to share it widely with others. But it's the ability you have to take the step into the unknown with confidence, purpose, and determination that will make the real difference. So don't let life happen when you're busy making other plans. And you know how your heroes are the two bobs? Well, they will sustain you and help you thrive as they remain part of your map of life. They were right. And you were right to be inspired to live your life with the moral imagination of both. I've never forgotten Bobby Kennedy's assertion that while some people see things as they are and ask why, I dream things that never were and ask why not. And you'll be delighted to know that I still look to Bob Marley's words to make sense of our journey in life. He was so right. Don't gain the world and lose your soul. Wisdom is better than silver and gold. But the biggest influence in my life has been neither of these people. It's someone whose head is in the clouds and imagines, 
and whose feet are on the ground and is humble, and who therefore is curious enough to search, confident enough to explore, but mindful enough to be thankful. And that is you, my own self-confidence. Let's push on. This road is less travelled. That's good. No, I wonder now where the next stop is. And there's only one way to find out. Let's go. Keep smiling. Oh, my goodness. I'm I'm wiping so many tears away. <laughs> I just uh, I feel so privileged to have heard that letter. And I'm sure everyone listening is feeling the same. Um, I'm really thankful that you're around. <laughs> I'm really thankful that you are um, an entrepreneur that I've admired for so, so, so long. And I admire what you're going to do in the future and how you've made me think, you've inspired the pants off me today. Mm -hmm. um, and I just feel so blessed to have um, had the honour of hearing your story, Paul. And thank you from the bottom of my heart. That's so kind and, and kindness works i'm so grateful for what you said thank you thank you before you go don't forget if you want to be in a chance to win a 19-minute mentoring session with me all you need to do is sign up to natwest business builder which is packed full of videos and advice all with the aim to help you build your business and arm you with all the tools you need. To find out more, head over to natwestbusinesshub.com forward slash Holly Tucker. Your support really means the world to me and it really does help spread the word and will help inspire even more people to build a life they love. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown You will find that all the things that I have said Will come to when you are lying in your bed And if you want your friends to come